So let me tell you a little bit about this people here in, in, uh, that received this word in Isaiah 40. In order to do that, I need to tell you about the first part of the book of Isaiah, chapters 1 through 39. Uh, Isaiah is a prophet, and he's given a job by, by the Lord to, to proclaim a word of, of judgment and confrontation to God's people. And in fact, um, his, God's people have forsaken him, they have sinned against him, and Isaiah's job is to call them to account. And, and here's the thing about, about Isaiah's task, and, and this is mentioned right in the beginning of the book. God says to Isaiah, um, go to this people, and they will be hearing, but they won't hear. They will be seeing, but they won't see. I mean, this is not, can you imagine being a parent? Uh, a parent your children, Give all the discipline and counsel, but they aren't going to listen. They're not, some of you think that's already happened. No, but no. But I mean, when God says it. So Isaiah speaks for years, his ministry, warning this people of impending judgment. They don't listen as God told them that they wouldn't. And, uh, and the judgment comes. Um, here in, in Isaiah 39, right at the end of, of 1 through 39, that first section of Isaiah, when Isaiah is speaking to his own people, here's how the, the chapter closes, uh, uh, the last chapter, Isaiah 39, verse uh, 5, if you have your Bibles open. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, who was the king of Israel, Isaiah said, Hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and all that which your fathers have stored up to this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And some of your own sons who will come from you, whom you, you will father, shall be taken away, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. So, so what's the message? Isaiah says to the king uh, Hezekiah, look, the, the day is coming when your house is going to be gone. Your household, your kingdom is going to come to an end. Uh, everything is going to be carried away and, and it, everything is going to be flattened. This is, this is bad news if you're the king of, a, of God's people. <laughs> now, uh, sure enough, what happened, about 150 years later, after Isaiah spoke this to King Hezekiah, it happened. Um, Isaiah foretold that the Babylonian army was, was uh, or that an army was going to come, and the Babylonians came, and they laid siege to Jerusalem, and they flattened the city, and they uh, carted off not only all the valuables, but the people. I mean, it's one thing to be a refugee. We have a lot of refugees moving around the world now, but it's quite another thing to be conquered and taken captive, like taken as a slave. Like, you're the spoil of war. So that's the context. Here, I'm going to read from, from a Jewish uh, historian. His name is Josephus. He writes that on July 10th, 586 B.C., uh, here it is now. This is when the Babylonian army broke through the walls of Jerusalem. And here's what he writes. The famine was so severe in the city that there was no food for the people of the land. Then the city was broken into, and all the men of war fled by night. 
uh, though the Chaldeans were all around the city. But the army of the Chaldeans, as the Babylonians, pursued the king and overtook him in the plains of Jericho. And all his army was scattered from him, and they captured the king, the son of Hezekiah. Just as Isaiah had foretold. That's the background of uh, Isaiah 40. So 1 through 39 happened. Isaiah warned the people that they were sinning against God and they, they, they risked his judgment. And sure enough, judgment happened. Now, chapter 40 comes. Isaiah's dead. This is a prophetic word from Isaiah to the people living in exile who've been taken away, who are living in Babylon, who are suffering for their sin. I wonder, I wonder if you can relate to this. So these people, they, they've, they've experienced losses. I mean, so helped by uh, the CCEF group. I don't know if you know CCEF, Christian Counseling and Education Foundation. They put on a conference, uh, and it was the title Loss. And it was to gather up all the different categories of losses in our lives. You know, we think about grief quickly. But there are all kinds of losses, like losses of jobs and losses of relationships and loss. loss. These people have experienced loss when, when their land is conquered, loss of land, loss of relatives, uh, I mean, uh, the separation, loss of homeland, loss, loss, loss. In fact, their lives are just marked by this sadness and uh, you can even think of homesickness um, in, uh, in Psalm 137, maybe because I, I'm, a, I'm a person who likes music, the description of this people, God's people, taken captive in Babylon, in exile, when, when it describes that they can't even sing, it lands on me. Uh, what is it? By the willows there, we hung up our lyres, our musical instruments, because our captors there required of us songs. They say, sing us songs of the, uh, the, the Psalms of Zion. Sing about Israel, Jerusalem. And they say, how can we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? We've been taken captive. We can't even sing. So I wonder if you can relate to that. Now, there's two words I want to use to describe the, the people that are, have been taken captive and are in exile. They have sinned against God and they are suffering. And some of that suffering is directly connected to their sin, and some of that suffering is uh, just the sins of others perpetrated against them. And, and uh, how aware are you of your own sin? I, I, I like the saying, you're the worst sinner that you know, because you know, you know yourself better than anybody else does. Uh, we're sinners uh, before God, and... and uh, if we see ourselves rightly. And then here's the challenging thing that when we sin, we bring on consequences like broken relationships. Um, it could be criminal, it could be financial mismanagement, it could be all kinds of, most importantly, broken relationship with God. When we sin, we, we bring on consequences, and those consequences often cause us to suffer. So here we have sin, and now we have suffering, either due to our own sinfulness, or sometimes we sin 
quite apart from anything we've done. I mean, horrible suffering happens in, in lives, in families, in the world, in our, in our land. And, and so if you can climb into that at all, um, one of the things that uh, Paul Tripp, he's another one of these counselor guys, he says, is, the funny thing about righteous anger is it doesn't stay righteous for long. You know, so let's say you've suffered quite apart from your own sins, and it doesn't take long before you sin against other people as a sufferer. It's not uncommon at all for sufferers to victimize other people and take their pain out on others. So you have this cauldron of sin and suffering that these people are living in, and uh, totally beaten down, hopeless, and uh, I just wonder if you can relate to that at all. Aware of your sin, in touch with pain. One, one author, one secular author, described hopelessness in this way. She wrote, The prince is never going to come. Everyone knows that, and maybe Sleeping Beauty is dead. Uh, there it is in, in the words of, in the context of the Sleeping Beauty story. Prince isn't going to come. Maybe the Sleeping Beauty is never going to wake up. Hopeless. That's where the people are in Isaiah 40. Now, let's get into Isaiah 40. So you have that dark, bleak context. And uh, look at verse 1 with me. I didn't read it, but let's, let's read it now. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Cry to her that her warfare is ended and that her iniquity is pardoned. And she has received from the Lord's, Lord's hand double for all her sins. You know, so what does the Lord say to this, this sinful and suffering people? He doesn't say, I told you so. He speaks a word of comfort. Now this is light. You know, remember darkness? Light. Light is coming in. God is speaking. A word of comfort. A word of forgiveness. That's not all. Let's, let's keep reading. Verse 3. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. And then jump to verse 5. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So what, what are these words of comfort? Words of comfort is uh, uh, forgiveness is coming. Uh, the judgment is ending. Uh, the, the, the judgment that has been upon them is ending. And then here, God is coming. Make straight the desert a highway for our God. God is coming and everybody's going to see his glory. His glory is not going to be in secret. Hmm. And, and lest the people blow off this word from Isaiah as, as, uh, as sleeping beauty talk, like someday my prince will come. I think that's the purpose of this verse 8 section when uh, the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. In other words, look, suffering, sinful people, when God says he's going to come, he's going to come. <laughs> he's, he's coming. This is not fantasy, fairy tale, wishful talk. Uh, people are like grass. They might make promises and, and they don't come true or especially the longer the promise is, people die and they can't even fulfill their own promises. But when God speaks a promise, 150 years later, it can happen. And actually, what did I say? 587 BC, 600 years later, Jesus comes according to promise. 
That's the purpose of that the glass with the grass withers, the flowers fade section. That no, this is God talking, and it's gonna happen. Take heart, be encouraged, be comforted. Okay, now, now comes to what I think of as the heart of this, this passage here. Okay, take a run at it. What's the word of comfort? How is forgiveness coming? Uh, how how are we preparing the way for the Lord? How is, what is this, the glory of the Lord is going to be revealed? If you hear that God is coming in his glory, and you think of yourself as a sinner, what's your response? Do what Adam and Eve did. <laughs> Run, hide, get a bunch of twigs, you know, whatever they did. <laughs> hide. Uh, hide. But no, no, this is a word of comfort. This is a word of forgiveness. Here it is. Uh, verse 9. Go up, go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news, herald of gospel. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not, say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold your God. I love it when the Bible is redundant. You saw twice it says, good, this is good news, this is good news, this is good news, so this is good. And what's the news? See your God. He's coming. See him. Behold him. Look at him. Look at him. Well, now that's a strange good news. <laughs> He's coming. Well, it must be something about what you see it makes this news good. How does it, well, what do we see? God is coming. We're not to be afraid. Forgiveness and comfort are on the way. What is this glory to be revealed? And it's explained in two ways right here in this text. And uh, I want to highlight those two ways. First is, uh, is here in uh, verse 10. Behold, there it is again. Look. Behold is just look. See. Behold, the Lord your God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. What's the point? See, your God comes as sovereign king. This is kingly talk. God is coming as king. Uh, he comes with might, with power. His arm rules for him, uh, rules over his enemies and and over all those who would oppose him. His reward is with him and his recompense before him. Uh, that last phrase, it, it means one of two things. That this, this coming Christ, is uh, his reward is with him and his recompense before him in one of two ways. It either means his reward is with him in that he has brought about triumph for his people and when he comes, he brings his people with him. Or it means, behold, his reward is with him. In his triumph, he brings his victory to his people. Victory over all his enemies. Victory over sin. Victory over death. Victory over the devil. And what's hard for me is both are true in Christ. And we know it from elsewhere in the, in the Bible. So I don't feel forced to pick <laughs> which it means here but it's good news that this king is coming. And you know what? It's, it's, 
it's very, very significant that, uh, that this is your God who comes. Your God. It, it's covenant language. This is your God who comes. And his reward is for his people. Isaiah 52, 7 puts the good news this way. Your God reigns. Kingly good news again. So this is good news that God is coming and when he comes, you can see him and when you see him, you will see him as your king. As your king. Now, how does that work for comfort? Well, doesn't it work this way? When we suffer, we feel defeated. We feel like the world is out of control. We feel like we're being victimized by everything and everyone. And who is going to help us? Who's even able to help us? Behold your God. He comes with power and might and sovereign uh, authority to, to rule over all things for you, his people. He is our God, our King. And people who, who uh, minimize the sovereignty of God in, in their suffering really minimize a source of God's comfort. And this is the word of comfort to these people who are just <laughs> torn apart. God is coming as king. And that's a comforting word. And, and he will right all the wrongs. And he will squash all the enemies. And he will rule for his people. It's a hopeful word that God is our sovereign king. But that's not the only glimpse here of God who is coming in this, uh, in this text foretelling the coming of Christ. The other aspect is in verse 11. Look at it with me. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom. And gently lead those that are with young. So if the image of God coming as sovereign, victorious, almighty, all-authoritative king scares you, well, there's another aspect to him. He comes as a loving shepherd. It's beautiful, the two together. He tends his flock like a shepherd. I mean, he, he cares for our needs. He cares for the needs of his people. He, he cares about every little need. Remember Jesus in, in, the, in the Matthew 5. Your father knows what you need. He cares. And then he gathers. He, he draws us close. He draws his people close like a shepherd. He carries. He, he will carry them in his bosom. Now, I have never carried a little sheep in my bosom. It doesn't feel like something I want to do. But you know what we'd carry all the time in our bosoms? Babies. Children. So this sovereign king is coming as a loving shepherd, and he will carry his people like little babies. It's just so tender. Uh, and he gently leads those that are with young. He's not harsh with his people. And he's gentle in his coming. The, the tenderness of God is such a beautiful balancing attribute to his, 
his authority and his might and his power. So there, there it is. Behold your God. He's coming with sovereign, kingly might and authority. Behold your God. He's coming with, as a loving shepherd with all the kindness that you can imagine that he has for his people. All for us as his people who are now his people in Christ who have received Christ and are included in the covenant. So that's the picture. And uh, as I've been thinking about the last, uh, maybe about six weeks in the, in the news, um, the news the news accounts have been dominated with accounts of men with authority and power over women. These men uh, have been supervisors or employers, almost always older. Um, movie producers, politicians, celebrities. And, and how do these men use their authority? Selfishly, abuse, harsh, damage, long-lasting damage. I mean, contrast that with the beauty of Behold Your God in this text. God has all authority, and he comes in the Lord Jesus. All authority in heaven and on earth is given to me, and he comes as a shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. That's how he exerts his authority, laying down his life, and then picking his life back up and rising from the dead and ruling over all things for the glory of his name and for the good of his people. It's a, it's a beautiful picture of who God is and who we see God is in the person of, of Christ Jesus. Another thought, another takeaway from this text is, um, you know, what do you want for Christmas? <laughs> um, imagine you're, you're these exiled people and you've been taken away to Babylon. You're living in this foreign land like a slave eking out a living far from your homeland. Family members have been killed and broken up. What do you want for Christmas? Um, I wonder if you were to ask them, they might say, well, I, I, want my, I want my family back. I want my land back. I want my homeland. I want my temple back. I want my, I want my old life. I mean, and God, uh, he answers with something Better. It reminds me of Jesus in uh, the Sermon on the Mount. If, is there a man among you who would give his son a stone when he asks for bread? I mean, God always gives good gifts to his children. So, so we cry out, Lord, Lord Jesus, we, we, want, we need this, we want this. And what does he answer with here? He answers with something better than a new house and better than a repair of all the losses, but he answers with the gift of himself. He gives himself. I thought about it. Um, about a year ago, my, my mother passed away. And, um, you know, if you think, you know, Kenny, what do you want for Christmas? And you might say, well, I want my mom back. 
And when you think about that, you think, well, God is, is God has a better gift for me. He has the gift of himself in the person of Christ. And you know what? In the person of Christ, we get everything. We get everything. When Christ is mine, and Christ belongs to my mother, I will get her back. In the day, in the last day, when 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 Christ comes and he says, Behold, I am making all things new, and all the tears are wiped, and, and all the sin is gone, and the new bodies are, are restored that don't sin anymore, and we worship the Lord, and we live together as his one people forever and ever. Behold, now is the dwelling place of God with men, and he will live with them. That's so we, we get God and we get everything. So what are we trifling with these little... I mean, it's okay to want toys for Christmas, <laughs> you know. But there's something bigger, and it's what we are focusing on as Christians in the Advent season, that we would behold our God and value and treasure all that God is and promises to be for us in Christ more than any of God's gifts that he's given us. Because in him, we really do have it all. We really do have it all. So there's, the, there's my uh, uh, word to you this, this Advent, that you would behold your God as he has come in the person of Jesus Christ, in his kingly authority, in his shepherdly love. Uh, receive him by faith. He is yours. And, and uh, it's not necessarily an end to our earthly suffering, but it is an end to our suffering in the end. It's not an end to um, whatever displacement or, or uh, disruption you have in your life with, with homes or jobs or whatever, but it is a, a, a promised Sabbath rest in the end. It's not necessarily a, a new, well-paying job, but it is grace to, to cope with the job search and the losses that that uh, you face because God is with you and God is for you with his power and with his care. It's not in essence uh, uh, children who will always obey, (laughs) but it is grace to parent like our Heavenly Father parents us as his own children and to echo his parental care and patience and love. Uh, So, behold your God, uh, Hope uh, my wife and I were talking about uh, themes during Advent, and one of the things that she said was, "Boy, it's good to have a, a theme in our minds during Advent." And and we thought this is a good theme to have. Behold, your, see God. You know, like we we sing Christmas carols. Who is God for us? There, you know, this this is Christ the King. Ah. I mean, let's have eyes to see, to behold, and worship God in his coming in the person of Jesus Christ, Emmanuel with us, and that we might be drawn near in worship and and hope this Advent season. Let me pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for your word. Just a bright word of hope to us as as people who have sinned and people who are suffering and and, uh, your people, though, uh, bought with the blood of Christ, forgiven, gathered to be your very own people, according to the new covenant. And now all these promises are ours and, and you have come in Christ. And I pray that we would rest 
in his sovereignly reign over all things for us and rest in his shepherd care in all our tears and sufferings and all our challenges. We, we look to you through Christ for help and hope. Shine brightly this Advent season, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.